The following is produced by Artisan Church. Welcome to the Artisan Church Podcast, a weekly broadcast of Artisan Church in Rochester, New York. To learn more about Artisan Church or to support the ministry, visit www.artisanchurch.com. Well, it's probably obvious that I'm not Pastor Scott. Not tall and lanky, not nearly snarky. Not a dude, so. Um, <laughs> they are, in case you didn't know, I think somebody mentioned it already, they're away at, at leadership retreat um, this weekend. So I made the mistake of saying, hey, Pastor Scott, I'm so excited that we're doing a series on John. And he said, great, you should preach one. And I said, no. <laughs> and here I am. So now you know. Don't ever tell Scott you're excited about the sermon series coming up, or you will be sitting where I am right now. All right. I'd like to just make a quick disclaimer that I am not a biblical scholar. Uh, I have never been to seminary. Uh, all views are, of, are expressed are my own, or those of internet commentators. <laughs> so, just to get that out of the way. Um, in all seriousness, though, I did tell Scott that I was excited about this sermon series because I love the Gospel of John. It's my favorite gospel. Um, for one reason, in my college New Testament courses, when we were asked to identify um, which gospel a passage had come from, it was the easiest of the four to identify. We called it the hippie gospel because you could always just look for like peace or love or whichever one sounded way groovier than the other three. Um, and it was pretty much always the Gospel of John. So that was, that was one reason that I just love this Gospel. Um, another reason I love this Gospel is because I feel like John just really explains things in a way that I can understand. Um, he doesn't really focus a lot on Jesus' parables, which can be confusing. And a lot of the, like most of the other Gospels are largely parables and other stories. Um, and I think for the most part in, in John, you really get a good sense of who Jesus is, even in the midst of sometimes when he can be mysterious, um, which is one of, one of the passages we're going to look at today. He is being a little mysterious. Um, and lastly, I am pretty convinced that John was just a cool guy. He seems like someone who would be fun to hang out with. Um, in his gospel, he refers to himself as the one whom Jesus loved, which I always thought was funny. Like, oh, yes, guys, I'm the one that Jesus loved. So in case there was just clearing that up for you guys. Um, <laughs> so it seems to me like he and Jesus were probably pretty close. And um, that makes his account um, more interesting to me. So some other tidbits about John. Um, he was the only disciple to die of natural causes. The rest were martyred, except for Judas, who were told um, hanged himself after turning Jesus in. And he actually lived to a ripe old age in Ephesus, which is now in Turkey. And even then, um, he was still going to the Christian assemblies and talking with the folks there. And um, he was famously quoted as saying, um, as his one piece of advice, little children love one another, which I think Scott preached on maybe last summer. And I consequently got tattooed on my arm. I liked it so much. So um, that's just kind of a cool sentence to turn over in your mind if you have a chance. 
Um, today, though, we're going to focus on John 3, 1 through 21. Um, and I'm going to read through the passage in the NRSV, which is in your pew Bibles. Um, and that starts on page 863. And sometimes we stand for the gospel reading. Um, today, I'm just going to let you sit because it's kind of a long passage. So we'll all be, you know, being reverent and of the gospel in our minds. <laughs> All right, so John 3. Now there was a Pharisee named Nicodemus, a leader of the Jews. He came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher who has come from God, for no one can do these signs that you do apart from the presence of God. Jesus answered him, Very truly I tell you, no one can see the kingdom of God without being born from above. Nicodemus said to him, How can anyone be born after having grown old? Can one enter a second time into the mother's womb and be born? Jesus answered, Very truly, I tell you, no one can enter the kingdom of God without being born of water and spirit. What is born of the flesh is flesh, and what is born of the spirit is spirit. Do not be astonished that I said to you, you must be born from above. The wind blows where it chooses, and you hear the sound of it, but you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with everyone born of the Spirit. Nicodemus said to him, How can these things be? Jesus answered him, Are you a teacher of Israel, and yet you do not understand these things? Very truly, I tell you, we speak of what we know and testify to what we have seen, yet you do not receive our testimony. If I have told you about earthly things and you do not believe... How can you believe if I tell you about heavenly things? No one has ascended into heaven except the Son of Man who descended from heaven, the Son of Man. And just as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. For God so loved the world that he he gave his only Son, so that everyone who believes in him may not perish but have eternal life. Indeed, God did not send the Son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. Those who believe in him are not condemned, but those who do not believe are condemned already, because they have not believed in the name of the only Son of God. And this is the judgment, that the light has come into the world, and people loved darkness rather than light, because their deeds were evil. For all those, for all who do evil hate the light and do not come to the light, so that their deeds may not be exposed. But those who do what is true come to the light, so that it may be clearly seen that their deeds have been done in God. So it's kind of a lot to take in, I think. Jesus is being sort of mysterious, and we don't really, at first glance, we don't really exactly know what he's saying without maybe going through it a little bit more. Um, and this, the, we got that whole part about like the light at the end, but then we've got born of water and the spirit. And what does that mean? Um, so my first step when I was looking at this translation, or when I was looking at this passage, was actually to um, go to the message, which I don't know if any of you have ever read the message translation of the Bible. Um, I find that when I'm really stuck on something, it helps me to read it in just a, a, different, um, a different way. So... I'm actually going to read you this passage in the message. Um, And I forgot my Bible at home, so (laughs) I'm going to read it from my phone. Thank you, the internet. Okay, so this is the same passage, 
Um, but it's in the message translation, and if you're not familiar with that, it's just kind of a modernization. Um, he did, I think, translate it from the original text, but it, he just kind of kept it um, in a more modern vernacular. So just gives us another way to look at it. So John 3. There was a man of the Pharisee sect, Nicodemus, a prominent leader among the Jews. Late one night, he visited Jesus and said, Rabbi, we all know you're a teacher straight from God. No one could do all the God-pointing, God-revealing acts if, uh, if you, that you do if God weren't in it. Jesus said, you're absolutely right. Take it from me. Unless a person is born from above, it's not possible to see what I'm pointing to, to God's kingdom. How can anyone, said Nicodemus, be born who has already been born and grown up? You can't re-enter your mother's womb and be born again. What are you saying with this born from above talk? Jesus said, you're not listening. Let me say it again. Unless a person submits to this original creation, the wind hovering over the water creation, the invisible moving the visible, a baptism into a new life, it's not possible to enter God's kingdom. When you look at a baby, it's just that, a body you can look at and touch. But the person who takes shape within is formed by something you can't see and touch, the spirit, and becomes a living spirit. So don't be surprised when I tell you that you have to be born from above, out of this world, so to speak. You know well enough how the wind blows this way and that. You hear it rustling through the trees, but you have no idea where it comes from or where it's headed next. That's the way it is with everyone born from above by the wind of God, the Spirit of God. Nicodemus asked, What do you mean by this? How does this happen? Jesus said, You're a respected teacher of Israel, and you don't know these basics? Listen carefully. I'm speaking sober truth to you. I speak only of what I know by experience. I give witness only to what I have seen with my own eyes. There's nothing secondhand here, no hearsay. Yet, instead of facing the evidence and accepting it, you procrastinate with questions. If I tell you the things that are plain as the hand before your face and you don't believe me, what use is there in telling you of things you can't see, the things of God? No one has ever gone up into the presence of God except the one who came down from that presence, the Son of Man. In the same way that Moses lifted the serpent in the desert so people could have something to see and then believe, it is necessary for the Son of Man to be lifted up, and everyone who looks up to him, trusting and expectant, will gain a real life, eternal life. This is how much God loved the world. He gave his Son, his one and only Son, and this is why so that no one need be destroyed. By believing in him, anyone can have a whole and lasting life. God didn't go to all the trouble of sending his son merely to point an accusing finger, telling the world how bad it was. He came to help, to put the world right again. Anyone who trusts in him is acquitted. Anyone who refuses to trust him has long since been under the death sentence without knowing it. And why? Because that person's failure to believe in the one-of-a-kind son of God when introduced to him. This is the crisis we're in. God light streamed into the world, but men and women everywhere ran for the darkness. They went for the darkness because they were not really interested in pleasing God. Everyone who makes a practice of doing evil, addicted to denial and illusion, hates God light and won't come near it, fearing a painful exposure. But anyone working and living in truth and reality welcomes God light so the work can be seen for the God work it is. So that was really helpful for me when I was kind of trying to figure out what, what is this passage about? What am I going to talk about? Um, and I hope that was helpful for you too. Um, 
I just think it kind of makes your brain turn in a different way if you can hear those words in something in a way that we normally speak and maybe not something that was translated and sounds more formal to our ear. Um, what I'd like to do now is kind of go through the text a little bit and point out some of the things that I found really interesting when I was studying this passage. And then I will um, tell you a couple lessons I think we can take back from it. So we start the passage by meeting Nicodemus. We're told right off the bat that he's a Pharisee and the leader of the Jews. He's thought to be um, a member of the Jewish ruling body, which would have been the Sanhedrin. Um, And he would have been considered one of the most expert and accurate interpreters of the Jewish law. So we know all of these things about him just from him being identified as a a ruling Pharisee. Um, Nicodemus shows up in two other places in the whole Bible, and those are both in John as well. Um, Once in late in chapter 7, he sort of half-heartedly defends Jesus to the rest of the um, Jewish leaders who want to pretty much, you know, put Jesus away. And he's like, well, shouldn't we at least give him a trial? So he's not, not really helping Jesus out too much, but he kind of comes to the rescue. Um, and then once in chapter 19, um, Nicodemus actually helps Joseph of Arimathea prepare Jesus' body for burial. So in verse 2 in this passage we learn um, that Nicodemus has chosen to come at night. Um, One of the commentators I read suggested that maybe it was because Nicodemus was up late studying the Torah or just, like, couldn't sleep, and he was like, oh, well, I'll just get up and go find this Jesus, and, you know, couldn't get him off the brain, so he got up and went to meet him, even even though it was late. Um, Most people just assume that it was because he didn't really want to be seen talking to Jesus or or going to seek him out. So he he travels under the cover of darkness. Um, when he gets to where Jesus is, is um, hanging out, Nicodemus kind of starts right in, and he does the thing, to me it seems like he does the thing that we do when we meet a famous person, right? He's like, oh, Jesus, um, we know that you're a teacher from God because you couldn't be doing all the cool things you're doing unless you were from God. So you can kind of hear him, like, stumbling over his words. Um, makes me think of when I, I have... Um, really enjoy reading Don Miller's books, and I've read, I've met him a few times, and the first time I met him was at this um, social justice conference in D.C., and he was doing, like, a breakout session for young people there, and he was doing, like, a little meet and greet, and I was like, hey, Don, how's your flight? I like your books. Okay, bye. And it was really, really awkward. Really awkward. So, that's kind of how I imagine Nicodemus, like, approaching Jesus. He doesn't really, like, come with a question. You know, he's, he, he doesn't seem to need to know who Jesus is. Like, he doesn't even confirm that he's talking to the right person. He clearly knows where Jesus is and who he is. So he's, he just comes, and it's sort of, sort of an awkward encounter at first. Um, but he, um, Jesus responds with, well, no one can see the kingdom of God without being born from above. And I like the way that the message puts this part in particular. Um, I actually... I'm not sure exactly what the original texts translate to, but the author of the message includes a fr- an affirmative response from Jesus at this point, um, where he says, you're absolutely right, I am a teacher straight from God, right? So I almost feel like Jesus is trying to pay Nicodemus a compliment by saying, you're right, you have seen, you know, you've seen this, and unless a person is born from above, as you clearly are, it, it's not possible to see what I'm doing, which is pointing to God's kingdom. And Nicodemus... Um, gets all confused, right? So he, he clearly doesn't get where Jesus is going with this and says, uh, how can you be born again? So it's interesting to note here that the word that Jesus uses for um, 
born from above, also means again or anew. So um, we, we think that Jesus was talking about um, being born from above, being born from God. Um, but Nicodemus takes the very literal meaning and says, how can I be born of my mother's womb when I'm already an adult, right? So he totally does not get the, the double meaning of that word and takes it to be very literal. Um, so Jesus tries to explain a little further and says, very truly, I tell you, no one can enter the kingdom of God without being born of water and spirit. So I think he's really trying to help Nicodemus understand where he's going with this. What is born of the flesh is flesh, and what is born of the spirit is spirit. And I think most people here are born of water and assume a baptism by water. Um, and it's possible that Jesus was making a reference to that. But I think when he explains it the second time, um, he really makes it clear that he's talking first of a physical birth, born of flesh is flesh, and the second of that spiritual birth, um, born of the spirit is spirit. Um, by the time we get down... Through verses 17, or I'm sorry, uh, 7 through 13, Jesus is starting to sound like a little annoyed with Nicodemus. And, you know, Nicodemus is this trained Jewish religious man, and Jesus is just not getting his point across. So he says, Do not be astonished, you know, what I'm saying to you. You must be born from above. And they go back and forth a little, you know, you're a teacher of Israel. How hard can this be for you to understand, right? Um, then Jesus makes an interesting reference to the serpent that Moses lifted up in the wilderness to save his people um, when they were, you know, getting really whiny and hungry. Um, if you remember back a few series ago, um, Pastor Scott talked about the passage um, in Numbers where they're, they're in the desert and the Israelites are like, oh, there's no food. And the food that we have is disgusting. So... What is it? Is there no food or is it bad food? <laughs> um, so God, in that, in that instance, sends some poisonous snakes, um, you know, to make the food situation better. And um, Moses makes a serpent out of bronze for the people to look at when they get bitten, and then they're saved, right? So Jesus is referring to that um, particular time in the desert, you know, as the serpent was lifted up for them to look at and be, and be saved. Jesus will have to be lifted up for us to look at and believe and be pointing to God. Uh, excuse me. So now we get to um, the verse that we all know, right? For God so loved the world. Um, it's interesting to note here that the Greek word translated as so in our translation um, is not meant to be quantitative, as in God loved the world so much that he gave his only son, but to show the way in which he loved the world. So God loved the world in this way that he gave his only son to us. And that kind of, that kind of points us back to the verse 14 with the serpent. God is lifting up Jesus in the same manner um, as Moses was with the serpent. Um, that is the way in which God is loving the world. So I have to say, as famous as that verse is, I really like the verses that follow it. Um, indeed, God did not send the Son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. Those who believe in him are not condemned, and those who, but those who do not believe are condemned already because they have not believed in the name of the only Son of God. And I really like how the message puts that last part. Um, anyone who trusts in him is acquitted, but anyone who refuses to trust in him has long since been under the death sentence without knowing it. Um, and I think that idea of refusal is, to me, seems really important because it's a conscious choice. Um, lastly, 
in this passage. John returns the the uh, idea of light from the introduction of this book when he introduces Jesus as the word and the light of life. Um, light enters the world, but people love darkness, so they run from the light to live in darkness. Um, but those who do what is true come to the light so that it may be clearly seen that their deeds have been done in God. So now, as one of my college professors would always say, so what? What does it matter for us? We can read this passage. We can look at the Greek words or the context and, you know, that's great. But what does it mean? Um, and it honestly took me a really long time to come up with something um, to say. Like I was saying at the beginning, I was kind of confused by the passage. I think there's like a lot of different ideas. Um, but as I was thinking about it more, um, I really was starting to feel like in the whole passage, we get this sense of, of making choices, right? So we have Nicodemus um, chooses to come to Jesus at night, and there could be many reasons for why he did that. Um, but obviously, Jesus, he, he obviously knows who Jesus is and where, to, where he can find him. Um, and he could have waited till morning. Like, you know, whatever he was asking him doesn't seem like it was so important that he had to go right then. So we can probably assume that, you know, he really didn't want to be found out. He chose to go when no one else would be around and be able to find him out. Um, after when they move on deeper into the conversation, they get talking about all this spiritual rebirth. Nicodemus is really, really just confused by this concept. How could someone possibly be born again? Yet Jesus insists that we must be born again, born from above in order to see the kingdom of God. And how else can we get to that place but to choose to make a step toward Jesus? Um, Pastor Scott sometimes makes an analogy about a car that cannot turn anywhere unless you've already put it in gear and started moving forward first, right? If you're sitting in the car and you try to just turn the wheel, you're not going to go anywhere. You have to actually be in motion. Um, And I think that really applies to this situation as well. If we think about um, how we must make a choice to put ourselves in gear and start moving toward Jesus to to, um, seek this spiritual rebirth from God, I'm certainly not saying that I think God has no hand in our situations. He, I don't think, you know, that he doesn't, he's not always working in our lives even when we can't see it. But I think it's still a choice on our behalf of what we do to respond to how God is working in our lives. And um, we have to still make that choice to let him um, work the way he wants to or, and follow him when we realize that he's working. So unfortunately for us, choosing is hard. It's not fun. Um, or at least most of the time, I think it's not fun. (laughs) How many of you have trouble making a decision, like even little ones, right? What color would look better on the walls? Or what shirt should I wear today? Or do I want decaf or regular? What should we have for dinner? Do I really need this new dress? The answer is always yes to that one. You know, should I talk to my best friend about this particular issue I'm having? Or, you know, things like that. Um, We have a really hard time choosing um, or, or deciding to make a first step in a lot of areas in our lives, big and small. Um, we might not want to choose to speak our opinion in case someone else disagrees with us. Uh, we might not want to commit to something in case we're wrong, or we might not want to choose to follow Jesus because it might be hard and we might have to give up something we don't want to. It's hard to choose. It's hard. But sometimes... We have to suck it up and make a decision. Um, Maybe you want to make a choice, but it's tough. Or maybe you've made a choice, you're just not so good at keeping up with it. 
which makes me think of uh, Romans 7 when Paul says, I do not understand my own actions, for I do what I do not want to do, but I do the very thing I hate. I feel the same way. Um, I have Personally, I have a very little sense of personal discipline, something I always struggle with in almost all areas of my life. Um, I have a really hard time, you know, making a regular devotional schedule, um, as in it does not exist unless I'm writing a sermon. <laughs> um, I really, like, have a hard time sticking with a good exercise routine. I can't say no to myself um, in a lot of areas. But I think we really have to try. Um, we really have to choose to be reborn in Jesus to follow him, and to live in the light that he brought for us. Um, The last section of the passage talks about the light and darkness, and we love the darkness. We love doing what we want, and we don't want to feel like we can't do something because, you know, that's not what we should be doing or something like that. Um, Just like Nicodemus, we come to Jesus in secret. We don't want to be caught or held accountable We run from the light so that we can keep being comfortable, maybe in the Christianity we have already chosen but watered down. I would like to suggest that it's not good enough for us to stay in the darkness, but that we must choose to move toward the light. If we stay in the darkness, we are not doing ourselves or our Lord any favors. We must choose the light. We must keep choosing the light every day, even when it's easier to sit back in the shadows. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you for sending us the light of your Son, Jesus Christ. Please help us choose to live in his light each day. Amen. And now, as a response, I would like to invite you to come to the communion table. Um, We have an open table here at Artisan, so um, you don't need to be a member of our church or denomination to participate. If you have chosen to follow Jesus, this table is for you. If you have not yet chosen Jesus, this would not be an appropriate thing to do at this time, and we would like to invite you to meditate or pray in your seat. Um, if you are choosing Jesus right now for the first time, this would be a great thing um, to do first. So please come as you're called, dip the bread in the wine or juice, and we'll sing a few more songs together. <laughs>